It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. You may be seated. Thank you, Amelia. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's Word? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we just we want to open our hearts. We would ask that you would reveal yourself to us in these moments. That, Lord, you would open our hearts up to the riches of your love, your grace for us in the cross. We pray that, Jesus, you would be lifted up in our midst and that we would enjoy you as your people. We would enjoy all that you've done, all that you are. Lord, would you come and be glorified in us and help us to savor the riches of the cross today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul... Uh, wrote a book to a church in Corinth. You might have heard of it. It's called 1 Corinthians. And he writes this book to this church that he had planted. And uh, this church in Corinth was a lot like the American church. Uh, it was wealthy. They were, it kind of had a celebrity status kind of tinge to the Christianity there. They were all into the latest and the best speakers. They were really into Greek culture and philosophy, and rhetoric, which is like the way that you speak, like being a really good speaker. They're really into that. And the Apostle Paul says this incredible thing in the first chapter. He said, you know, whenever I came to you, and I was, you know, ministering to you, I didn't come with eloquence. I didn't, I didn't come with rhetorical skill. I didn't come with like great dynamic messages or anything. In fact, I was actually determined. I had determined that whenever I came, I was going to know nothing but one thing. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now here's the interesting thing. That was a church. That was believers. We might say, wait a minute, they already knew this. They already knew the message of the cross. How about we, we talk about some other things? How about we talk about some, you know, let's, some wisdom, maybe how to handle this issue in my life, maybe to do these other things. Paul, why? why? Why did you just, in your preaching, you just want to talk about Jesus. You just wanted to talk about the cross. That's all you wanted to do. Why would he do that? And he tells us in that chapter, he says, because the message of the cross, that's a little shorthand for the gospel, it's the message of the cross, of the death and torture of Jesus Christ, the heart of the gospel, that the message of the cross is the power of God for salvation. That's what he says. This is God's power, Paul says. Not just it has power, but it is God's power. The message of the cross is God's power to save us, and it is God's power to transform us. And that's why he would go to a church and say, the only thing I want to talk about it's the cross. I just want it to wash over you. 
I just want to center on it. Because he knew this is the power. This is the power of the message of the cross. So that's what we get to focus on tonight. We get to just savor the power, the significance of the cross for us tonight. Now, in this meditation, normally I like to talk about what does this accomplish? And there's so much that we could go into this because whenever we were hearing the reading of the account of the crucifixion, there's so many little details in there. They're just packed in and each one is just loaded with tremendous significance for what that accomplished. Jesus was not just coming to give us a great example. He wasn't just to say, look how much I love you. He didn't come to to show us even how to live. Primarily, first and foremost, Jesus came to do something, to accomplish something. And it's in the details of the crucifixion that we see what it accomplished. Now, we've been in Hebrews, and we've been talking about that. You know, we've been in chapter 9 and 10 in Hebrews most recently. And you remember, if if you're regular here, and you've been here the past two weeks, you know all that we've talked about in there about The cross and its significance about, and he's tying it into the Old Testament sacrificial system, but but about how blood alone could provide cleansing. And so what Jesus was doing is he was coming to make the final sacrifice. And his blood now washes us clean whenever we're united to him. It cleanses us from impurity and moral uncleanness and all of our shame. We saw that 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 the the sacrifice of Jesus is a once for all sacrifice. There's no more need of any more. And we see in the details that we just read that Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. We also talked about how uh, Jesus in his death has opened the way to God. And we read in the account that the temple curtain, this big thick curtain that separated the worshipers from the holy presence of God, that it was torn from top to bottom, which was a powerful picture for us that now people like us can draw near to God. We have access, access beyond what we even realize. All those things are contained in those details of what was accomplished in that moment when Jesus was hanging on that cross, when he was giving up his spirit, when he was paying for our sin. But what I really want to drill down on tonight is not just what it accomplished, but I want to drill down on Jesus' heart in the cross. What is his heart for us? What, What do we see, even in the story, is his heart for us, and what was he experiencing as he went to the cross? Now that might sound a little odd to ask that question and to be talking about Jesus' heart. Why would we do that? You know, and I think it's, it's pretty common. Anybody getting a delivery here? I'm sorry, that just distracted a few of you. It distracted me. I just wanted to acknowledge it. We all see it. It's okay. We're going next door. We all see it. Yeah, it's that commercial. Never mind. I'm getting off track here. Okay. Um, gosh, where was I? Okay, so Jesus' heart. Whoa, wait a minute. Why are we talking about God's heart? You know what I think? I think it's so easy for us to have a picture of God as if he doesn't have a heart. And what I mean by that is that God kind of, it's very easy for God to just seem like mechanical, you know, like unaffected, like distant, 
not feeling, not affected by us, not having emotion. You ever have that idea of God? You know what's incredible? Is as you come to Scripture and you kind of have eyes for that, what we see is that God's heart is everywhere. He's revealing his heart. God feels like a tremendous amount in Scripture. He is affected. God is affected by us. Like really affected. Go search Scripture. It'll blow your mind. God has a heart. In fact, we have a heart. We have desires. We have emotions. We, we are persons. Because God is that way. We're his image. So God is a person. He has a heart. He has desires. He has emotions. He has a heart. So what is his heart for us? What a great question that is. And for Jesus, what do we see of Jesus? Very easy to think of Jesus as being <clears throat> more God than human. And, you know, I, I kind of all, uh, always imagined, especially growing up, even as a young believer, as I, was, as I would read the Gospels and Jesus is talking, I kind of imagine this person that's just kind of stoic and hard and unapproachable and unaffected. But go back to the Gospels and read what happened in Jesus when he met a person, particular person need, particular person who was broken. We're almost always told that Jesus saw them and he felt them. He was moved. He was affected. His heart was broken. He felt joy. He felt longing. It's the heart of Jesus. So what do we see of his heart in the gospel? I mean, in the, specifically in the cross. Now, I just want you to know, the crucifixion for Jesus was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. He felt it. He felt betrayal. You know betrayal in your life? Jesus felt betrayal to the nth degree. He knew what it was like for all of his best friends to turn on him and sell him out. He knew what it was like to experience injustice. We've talked a lot about injustice in, the, in our world in the past year. Injustice has actually been around since the beginning of time. But Jesus tasted and personally experienced injustice. He was falsely accused. He was blamed for what others did. He, he experienced being mocked. He experienced being shamed publicly as he was hung naked on a cross. He experienced, experienced nails going through his heart. He experienced his heart absolutely breaking as he was experiencing all this on the cross. And most painful of all, he experienced the Father forsaking him. It's a huge statement in the Gospels. Where it says in that moment, he cries out, and Sarah did a great job with the Aramaic there, by the way. That's, that's always one you don't want to have to read. But he's crying out, he's actually quoting Psalm 22, which just so happened to always be about Jesus, hundreds of years before he ever came. But he cries out and says, God, why have you forsaken me? The deepest ache of a heart, of actually a fully human heart, though fully God at the same time. Jesus felt. But I also, I want to especially ask, why? If he felt all of this, and it cost so much, why did he do it? Why would he go to this length? Why would he endure this? Why would he choose to endure this? And by the way, he chose. This didn't happen to Jesus. 
It didn't, they didn't, this wasn't a fate that hit him. This wasn't a circumstance. This wasn't something that, that just passively happened to him. Jesus chose for this to happen. And he had to choose his entire life. He had to choose to experience suffering. He had to choose to become flesh and enter into the brokenness of our world. He had to choose to experience all of the brokenness of this world. Remember, Hebrews said, he knows that all he's experienced, everything that we've experienced. He had to choose that. In this moment when he was being beaten, when he was being mocked, you know, he actually had to choose, actively choose to allow himself to be treated in that way. We're actually told he, you know, the disciples think they need to save Jesus and step in and stop this in the garden. And Jesus says to Peter, do you not think in this moment I could call on 10,000 legions of, an of angels? Jesus could have called on the armies of heaven and laid waste to the whole earth. And in fact, he would have been justified in doing that exact thing. He chose, he chose, he chose. And so the question is, why? What's his heart in that? What led him into that? And here's the answer for us. Love. Love. We're told that over and over and over. It was love. And not love in general. Not the general kind of love we love to celebrate in our culture. It was love for you. Personal intentional love for you. Do you believe that? Do you see that when you look at the cross? It's amazing in um, 1 John. 1 John's a great just chapter where it's just, John's so simple. If you're familiar with the book of John, uh, 1 John in particular. But he, he gets to chapter 4 and he says, um, God is love. That's a huge statement. That's a complete sentence there. God is love. It is the very essence of his being. If you're wondering who God is or whatever your view of God is, John just wants to just boil it down and say, this is who God is. He's love. It's who he is at the very core. But then he kind of defines that for us. And he says this, this is love. This is what it looks like, John says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, John says, you want to know what love is? Love is not us towards God. We didn't love God. We did not love God by nature. If you, if you love God today, do you know that it's because he first loved us? That's what John says. We love because he first loved us. So sometimes we get real impressed by our our devotion and our seriousness in the Christian life or whatever. And those are all great things. But don't be fooled to think that you have loved him first. Or that he has loved you because of something in you. Because he says here, no, we didn't love God. We didn't want anything to do with God. We wanted to be our own God. That's what's true of our hearts. But God knew that even more than we do. We're, we're in the dark about that primarily. We like to flatter ourselves and compare ourselves to other people and think, you know, I'm not perfect, I'm human, but I'm not a bad person. God knows. There's no fool in him. No sense in hiding. He sees it all. And yet, he loved 
us. And what does love look like? You know, in our culture, love is an emotion. You know, it's just feeling good. John says, here's what love looks like. He gave his son for you. He gave him up to death. That's what atoning sacrifice means. He put his son under the knife for you. You know what that means? You read the Gospels, Jesus was the treasure of the Father. I can relate to that. My children, probably if you're a parent here, you can relate to that. My children are my treasure. I ain't giving them up for nothing. But John tells us, God gave up his treasure for you. You know what that must mean? That you are his treasure. Right where you are, in all of your mess, in all that's true of you, you are his treasure. It almost feels blasphemous, doesn't it? That's what he's saying. You tell me what he's saying. That's what he's saying. That is the heart of the Father. Now, what about Jesus? What's his heart? You know, Hebrews, we'll look at this in a couple weeks, but in Hebrews chapter 12, you know what it tells us? That it was for... The joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus like shamed shame. He put it on display by enduring it. All of the worst of human shame. He just walked right into it, made himself a public spectacle. In doing so, he shamed shame. But it cost everything. Why? Hebrews said it was for joy. It was for something that was coming. It was a joy of what he was going to win through going through hell on earth. An actual hell. What was that joy? It's you. It is you. The joy was having you. That's why he did it. He endured all of this. He became our ransom. Oh, what a beautiful image. You know, a ransom is like a price you pay to set someone free from, from slavery. He set us free by becoming the ransom. He didn't pay it off with money or riches. He paid it off with his blood, with his life. He tasted death in our place. He took our judgment. He took our, he took our blame. Have you ever been blamed for something that somebody else did? It's awful. You know, anytime that happens with my kids, there's like immediate protest. And I get it. You know, when they're blamed for something they didn't do, they become expert lawyers. I do the same thing in my life. It feels horrible to be blamed for, someone, for what someone else did. But do you understand Jesus chose that for you so that your blame would be taken away? So that you would be reconciled to the Father. He paid your debt. Anybody got any debt in here? Do you want to pay anybody else's debt? How, how, many, how many volunteers do we have to pay for somebody else's debt? We say, that ain't my debt. I ain't paying for that. Jesus said, I will pay your debt. And it will cost my life. And I choose to do it. For the joy set before me that I might have you. That's his heart. When we look at the cross, we're looking into the heart of Jesus. His longing, his love. 
seeing everything that's true about us. He sees it all. All that you have done, all that you're doing, all that you will do, there's no sense in hiding. He sees it all and he says, I will give my life for you. I will take your punishment. I'll satisfy divine wrath. I'll pay it all because I want you. I love you. We're having this conversation the other day in community group. It's hard to receive love, isn't it? I mean, just think of even a simple thing. Like, have you ever tried to buy somebody's meal and like a wrestling match breaks out in the restaurant, right? What do we, why is that? It's just a small little illustration, but we, we do not like to receive. It's uncomfortable. We, we, you know, it's amazing how much I just see in the church, and I see it first and foremost in my heart, how we'll express love to one another, and it just bounces right off. Because we can't receive it. Why can't we receive love? Because to receive love, you've got to become vulnerable. You've got to open up. You've got to get in touch with need, the need to be loved. And we don't like need, and we're afraid of vulnerability. Because when you're vulnerable, it could be dangerous. It could be risky. But love is always risky. You see, we've got to let Jesus love us. You've got to let him love you. He loves you. You, you might be someone who's experienced this before. And so the call here is like, just open your heart again to his love. Let him love you. Let him wash you. You know, we were, we were looking at the, the, the John 13 and the parable of the washing of the feet. And he comes to Peter and he's going to wash his feet. We're looking at this Wednesday night in community group. And Peter's like, you never washing me. And we all related to that. It's like, don't handle my filth. Don't, don't get to those dirty parts of my life. You're not going to be transformed by Jesus' love for you. Until you let him wash you over and over and over. Let me just close with this. You know, the, the psalmist says this really powerful thing. It's short, and they say it in the Psalms. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. It's better than life. And here's what that means. You can lose everything in your life. You can lose your reputation. You can lose your health. You can lose your future, you can lose your dreams, you can lose your spouse, you can lose your children, you can lose everything in life, and yet if you have God's love in your heart, if you know it, if you're experiencing it, then you are rich. That's what that means. I don't know that any of us believe that, me first and foremost, but I want to. The love of the Lord is better than life. And John says we don't see it anywhere so vividly than that right there. We get to come and experience it today. We get to come to communion table. And you know, it's all about experiencing the love and the washing of Jesus in a very tangible way. And the way that we do it today, not only are we taking communion, but we get to do this neat thing that I love that we do in the service. Whenever you come up for communion, First thing that we want you to do, and we have elders dismissing you, but we want you to come up and take a nail and a hammer up here and drive a nail into this cross. 
And it becomes a very tangible reminder that it was my sin that put him on the cross. That's humbling. But yet my sin was nailed to the cross. That's free. That's the gospel. So we'll put a nail into the cross and then come to one of the stations, grab a communion cup with a little wafer in there, the body and blood of Christ, and return to your seats. We'll be singing during this time. I want you to contemplate the cross and its implications for you and the love of Jesus. And then wait till everyone is seated and we'll take all together as one. So as we move into this time of communion, as we always do, we begin with repentance that prepares our heart to receive love, to receive grace. So let's pray together this prayer of confession. Let's pray together. And let me encourage you, don't just say this. This is an opportunity to make this the cry of your heart, the confession of your heart. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Give you a few moments to confess silently your sin to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we come tonight and we confess our outrageous need of your continual grace. But we rejoice that it is ours in abundance. It is once for all this power of the crucifixion, the power of the cross. Would it just fill our hearts at your table? Lord, we pray that you would take these very common elements Juice and bread, set them apart for your holy use, that you would feed us with your love and grace. Meet us at your table by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.